And, you know, the people who have the highest, strike, the highest strikeout rate in the major leagues of baseball have the highest home run rate. So we're going to swing for the fences. may not get it there, but we're going to go after it. Why not? Okay? Yes! Yes! <laughs> yes! Enthusiast! I like it. I like it. Enthusiasm. Okay. Thank you. Dude, that was energizing. Good. All right. Okay, good. Okay, so, Sean, we're recorded, right? I guess so. Okay. So, collecting oneself, giggles and all, coming into the present. I'll move through the, those seven kind of neural factors of mindful attention. Uh, just kind of fairly briskly touching them, awakening them, opening to them, and then moving on. And then we'll focus more on steadiness of attention, using the breath, and if you like, something else. And then move increasingly into tranquility, and then into um, contentment and happiness. So, establishing an intention here for steadiness of mind, without attachment to the result, finding a certain resolve, both top-down through giving yourself an instruction and also bottom-up in a more felt, sensate way. Giving yourself over to the steadiness of mind that you are seeking. Second suggestion, really relaxing. Encouraging the beginnings of tranquility in the body. Letting your weary mind come to rest. A few long exhalations, really relaxing. Third suggestion, opening to feeling cared about or caring, perhaps bringing to mind someone that you know loves you, or someone to mind that you know you love, or perhaps multiple beings, warming up the heart.
third suggestion, or fourth rather, helping yourself feel as safe as you reasonably can. Helping yourself notice that you're all right right now. You can relax unnecessary anxiety, any unnecessary guarding or bracing. Feeling strong, deep within yourself. And also, feeling like you're in a protected setting. Exploring what it's like to feel safer and safer. suggestion, encouraging and opening to some positive emotion. For example, bringing to mind something you feel grateful for or happy about, or just makes you happy to think about. (coughs) Perhaps smiling a little bit, gently, not straining, not stressing, opening to things that make you feel happy. The happiness may be subtle, alongside it may be sorrow or pain, but encouraging some positive emotion as intense as possible. Sixth suggestion, getting a sense of breathing as a whole, perhaps the body as a whole, abiding as a whole body breathing, being a body breathing, not separate from the body breathing, All the sensations of breathing known at once in awareness as a single unified percept or gestalt.
perhaps with a sense of a panoramic perspective on your experience right now. A bird's eye view of the sensations of the whole body. And the seventh suggestion, now and throughout this meditation, sensing and intending that the benefits of this practice, whatever they are, are sinking into you. Like water into a sponge, or simply knowing that These benefits are weaving their way into the fabric of your brain and your being. And then on the basis of these suggestions, to call forth more steadiness of mind, see if you can be aware of each and every breath for the next five minutes, applying attention to the beginning of each inhalation or exhalation and sustaining attention for the duration. Feel free to adapt the practice in the ways we talked about, perhaps being aware of the breath in the chest or torso or body altogether, or increasing the stimulation of the breath through noting it, as in inhaling, exhaling, rising, falling, or counting, one, then two for the second breath and so on. Or really deliberately exploring the details of the sensations of breathing. However you help yourself, see if you can help yourself stay present, receptive to, given over to, as a kind of renunciate practice, the sensations of each and every breath for the next five minutes.
continuing to stay present with the breath, allow awareness to also include more of your own experience so that there's an openness to all the sensations in the body, perhaps underlying feelings or mood. Yet there is an intention of increasingly tranquilizing, calming the breath so the breath becomes more and more naturally shallow and soft and relaxed. It's a gentle encouragement to tranquilize, as it were, mental activity, disengaging from things. And an intention here to help the mind be increasingly still perhaps with imagery of a mountain pond, very, very still, perhaps settings that feel very still for you. Maybe a sense of the sediments of the mind settling gradually in your own pond. Perhaps the intention in the word quiet. So here too, for the next five minutes, staying with the body, encouraging a growing relaxation and peacefulness in the body, disengaging from inner language, imagery of tranquility, letting a hush, a quiet, increasingly come into your mind, finding increasingly qualities of peacefulness that are pleasurable associated with this inner quiet for the next five minutes.
knowing what tranquility is to the extent that it's present. Receiving whatever quality of quiet and peace is present for you and taking it in, creating a kind of body memory of tranquility to the extent that it's here for you. Untroubled, at ease, calm. Undisturbed, untangled, cool. Tranquil. And then exploring what it's like to open to some qualities of fulfillment or happiness or satisfaction, feelings of contentment with your mind still quite steady Exploring the mental state of contentment, where there's a basic quality of well-being and no wish for this moment to be any other than it is. It's a little more energetic, contentment is, than tranquility. It's still a fairly gentle emotion. The kind of positive enoughness of this moment. It's a very sweet emotion, contentment, encouraging, opening to contentment here and now, if it helps, thinking of things that help you feel contented here and now without getting caught up in wanting even more. Seeing what it's like to feel glad and sufficiently fulfilled here and now so there's no wish for anything other than this present moment. For the next minute or so, exploring contentment.
perhaps noticing the automatic tendency of the mind to look for something to want or to look for a problem to solve. Maybe noticing a certain busyness in the mind that's scanning or darting about. And seeing instead, if you can help yourself, keep coming back to just being here as plenty for right now. As this moment with all its stimuli, as fully rich enough. You can be contented with this moment right now. This moment of life is just fine. And then taking it one more step of toward energizing, opening to and encouraging even more intense experiences of happiness, gladness, moving from contentment to a more active sukha, a more active sweetness. Maybe simply the happiness in living compared to the alternative. Or the happiness that's inspired when you think of things that make you happy, whatever they may be. Or simply call up a fundamental emotional memory or knowing of happiness. Not giddy, not gleeful, but as best you can, encouraging a gladdening of the heart, as the Buddha talked about. Here and now, even, a kind of joyfulness, a sweet happiness. It would be a happiness that you're practicing or happiness that you have access to inspiration or wisdom. Or 
simply happy for no reason. Maybe breathing a little faster, bringing a little more energy, encouraging happiness, not manipulating, but encouraging, inviting, trying to fuel some gladness of the heart right now. And then finally, as a bit of an experiment, breathing more vigorously a few times, seeing if you can open to even or call up um, some surges, if you will, of bliss in the body, a kind of pulse of pleasure, often has an arising quality to it or just energy rising up in you, maybe a wave of energy, or even giving yourself over more globally to a quality of of delight in breathing and delight in the body and a joyfulness, maybe almost an ecstatic feeling for a moment or two, if not more, of rapture or bliss, great happiness, great rushes of bodily pleasure, exploring if you can, opening to the rapture factor. Maybe there's a feeling in it, the rapture perhaps, or a factor of it, of a kind of in loveness with experience, a kind of um, in blissful infatuation with this moment as a kind of aid to rapture.
and then letting whatever happened for you with regard to rapture subside some. Perhaps nothing at all happened or frustration happened. It's fine. And settling into, back into a basic state of well-being, such as it is for you. Basic qualities of all rightness, peacefulness. And we'll just hang out here for the last minute. So I thought we could talk about this for a few minutes and then just kind of keep going in the last bit on singleness of mind. And then we'll talk about that a bit and wrap it up for the day. So if you don't want to talk, it's really fine. Sometimes people are still with something. So, um, so I'm very interested, you know, in terms of training the mind, uh, what happened and um, what helped and what got in the way in terms of these factors you're cultivating? Please. Whenever you describe what kind of emotional state to go toward, um, music came to my mind ah. that would fit that emotional state. Uh-huh. Because I'm very tuned in to music. Yes. And I wonder if part of me uses music to kind of still one side of the mind while the other side works on something. Or oh, yeah. Yes. More than words, you know. Yeah. Music comes to mind and is always kind of there in the background. Uh huh. I don't know what that's about, but that's well, it's, what I've heard. Yeah, it sounds very skillful. And you might know Oliver Sacks' really neat book called Musicophilia. He's a neurologist, and um, I think that's fine. Skillful means I'll find myself having a certain mood about something, and a song will come to mind. Who's I'm not terribly musical, but the title, at least, of the song or the key lyric will really summarize my overall take you know, on, on things. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. Great, thank you. Uh, right next to you, yeah. Yeah, I noticed that um, one of my largest obstacles when I'm, when I'm 
practicing is um, my worry about my ability to do something. Yeah. So, you know, saying, feeling every part of your body, part of my experience will be worrying about whether or not I'm capable of that. Yes. Um, and, but I, I found during the, and that's something I still struggle with, um, but I found during the last, uh, last practice when you were kind of engendering that, that peaceful mood that at the very end I was able to kind of sink into a, a relaxed, Great. I'm glad for you. Yeah, and remember, it's practice. We're training the brain. And um, it's been trained for a long time in being distractible and self-critical and anxious and all the rest. And it's going to take some counter-training. But if we stay with it, we'll get the result. Um, yeah, other people. Great. Something that really helped me, which I never noticed before, was that you talked about the thoughts, that how they come up, and you can notice them before they are fully formed. And so I was able to catch much ah. more quickly, and I never even noticed that was a possibility before. So that helped Great. Um, not allow that to come. Good. Catching thoughts before they fully congeal and really take root and kind of gently discouraging them on the way up. Brushing yeah. Aside, I yeah, them. that's great. Yeah, please. Um, yeah. So one thing uh, it took me a while to realize, you know, I was trying to get into mindfulness meditation for a while, and they tell you to focus on, like, you know, this, focus on that, focus on the breath. Um, but I feel like, at least me, I found my sweet spot. I feel like everyone has, like, a tension sweet spot that's easiest for them to open attention to. And mine is, like, you know, the, uh, the feeling of the breath going in and out of my nose. Versus, mm-hmm. uh, you know, other people say the feeling of your chest or the feeling of this thing. So kind of made me think, like, you know, I feel like everyone might have their sweet spot that's easiest for them to Great. attention to. And, Oh, thank you. His point was, for him, he found a kind of a tension sweet spot, uh, the sensations in the nose or around the nose, other in the nose. Other people might have a different part of the body. I find my, it's interesting that in the beginning when I'm sitting, my attention is drawn to the whole body, and I deliberately try to pay attention to the internal sensations, because neuro guy, I'm thinking multiple banks, one buck. I want to build up those insula circuits that are tuning in to become even more empathic. Whatever, you know, so I'll do that. But then after a while, attention does tend to stabilize around this area for me. So the point is, whatever works for you, or maybe the attentional sweet spot is the inner music, you know, that a person's really attending to. How able were you to let your mind quiet? How did that work for you around quieting? Shaking heads, some yes, some no. Some people looked distracted. Some people looked pretty blessed. You know, it's normal distribution, normal range. Um, Anything about quiet, tranquility? Yeah, in the back there. I have, um, occasionally I'll have to open my eyes and check in because I'm afraid I'm going to go so deeply tranquil that I won't be able to come around. Yeah. I'll be eternally hypnotized. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, it, it's kind of disruptive, but every once in a while I'll open my eyes just to make sure I'm still with it. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I think they're helping yourself know that uh, it'll be okay, and maybe in, you know, just taking a chance on what happens, running the experiment. I think a lot of what we do when we practice, we run the experiment and then see what the results are. I mean, I can honestly tell you, you will not disappear. You know, really. Um, you know, <laughs> too many people need you. <laughs> you know, you won't disappear for sure. But it's an understandable fear. Yeah, thank you. Right, right there.
a word, word thought idea, uh, even words, even the words you're using are very, I can see, uh, and that I get into my mind, I can, I can feel them. It's like, yeah. Yes. And for me, um, I went with that, but I found that at the very end, you're building up to the northern peak. Yeah, rapture. Yep. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Ease. Yeah, I hope you heard her. You know, to recap quickly, um, especially the last part, if it's okay. Um, <clears throat> you recall toward the end of the practice, you know, we were swinging for those fences. We were going for it. So, you know, first we go, we quiet into tranquility. Where am I here? Ding, 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 ding. Okay, look at the joy one right there. Starting out here, we're getting to tranquility, hopefully. Some peacefulness, some quiet, some nonverbalness. Tranquilizing the breath, that's the Buddhist phrase. Tranquilizing the bodily formation, that's his phrase. Tranquilizing uh, reactions. Okay, we're bringing, hopefully, a growing sense of quiet. I added disengaging from verbal activity. And then moving back up into contentment. A highly underrated, I think, state of mind. A wonderful state of mind, contentment. Right? And then further up into happiness, and then I went into rapture, and then I came back. She said that when I said at the very end, for the last minute, come, let go of the attempt to you know, drive or rise into rapture, come back now into a sense of ease, that's when the rapture came for her. That's when the bliss wave hit, right? Yeah. yeah. That's a very important point, um, the element of ease there. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, right there again. Yeah, so this going off of looking at being able to call your thoughts... One thing I kind of realized in the course of my practice was when I close my eyes, which is opening my eyes and meditating, I feel like when I close my eyes, my mind kind of wanders a little bit more uh-huh. open. Yeah. So I want to hear your thoughts on the open eyes versus closed eyes. Yeah, so what, what do open eyes, closed eyes do? As you know, you probably know in Zen, and actually a lot of Tibetan practices, eyes open, Theravadan practice that spirit rocks in the line of, tend to be more eyes closed. People vary. Uh, I think uh, eyes open can be stimulating. So if, as somebody said, if you're starting to get drowsy, open your eyes. That can, that can really help. Uh, on the one hand, probably about a 40% of cortex, the bark as it were, is devoted to visual processing. It's our dominant sense. It's so powerful. So that's a double-edged sword. On the one hand, eyes open, sometimes people find it's hard to concentrate. Or they just naturally want their eyelids to close, and that's okay. On the other hand, if one can sustain real steadiness of awareness with eyes open, then one can sustain that in daily life more readily, because we function typically with our eyes open in most of daily life, two-thirds at least, when we're not asleep. Uh, yeah, that's what I'd say about that. Okay, a couple more, and then we'll go back into singleness of mind. Yeah. you comment on the value of attempting to conjure up certain kinds of states like uh, bliss or like rapture as opposed to our customary mindfulness practice of simply 
trying to attend carefully to yes. what's happening in the mind? Yeah, you're bringing up that um, very fundamental question I tried to get at it in the metaphor of the two wings of the bird of practice. Typical mindfulness meditation um, is to be receptively present with whatever's there and to enter into what's called even choiceless awareness. We're not making any choices. Now, that said, we are trying to sustain the mindfulness, right? We are trying to sustain a certain steadiness of mind and even gently sometimes you know, open up to certain gentle factors in the background, the attitude in the mind. So even in so-called choiceless awareness, there's still a certain amount of wise effort to it. And I think sometimes mindfulness teachers, honestly, or, or people in the West, can overvalue that wing of practice, that receptive, um, choiceless, in some sense within the frame of mindfulness, purposeless practice. We're not, we don't have a purpose. We're not trying to particularly do something with it. In a context which that's, I think, very important, that kind of receptive just choiceless awareness, being with, okay, just sitting, shikantaza and Zen, just sitting. On the other hand, the Buddha really did speak a lot about various factors, various causes that we can activate for various purposes. And what starts to happen is that we activate them, and then they become more woven into us. And we also get readier access to them. In the beginning, it's kind of effortful. There's a Tibetan saying, I, I like it. It says, in the beginning, nothing comes. In the middle, nothing stays. In the end, nothing goes. So a lot of us, me included, we're in that middle stage where we can get stuff to come, but it's not fully stabilized. Or um, another Tibetan saying that's relevant, I think, is sudden awakening, gradual cultivation, sudden awakening, gradual cultivation, sudden awakening. It's the rhythm of the two. We have an insight, we have, we have a breakthrough, but then sometimes we have to do some work to really stabilize it, to backfill some of the infrastructure. We get a realization, but then we have to backfill. On retreat, my friends and teachers on this retreat knew me well, and um, they knew, without going into a lot of detail, that you know I had a very real felt realization of certain things, but that I'd gotten a bit ahead of myself. And I needed to backfill in a more modest way and, and build up infrastructure in a lot of, with a lot of granularity and minutia in a sense to support that kind of leap. And it's my tendency to leap. So there's a place for leapers. All, the tribe needs all types. Turtles, <laughs> jack rabbits, leapers, stayers. But for leapers, it really helps to backfill too. So my point is I think both are useful. And... Um, my own view is that there's been a little bit of an overemphasis culturally in American Buddhism to more the receptive, if you will, passive wing of practice. I think, on the other hand, many people, me included, can be over-efforters, overdoers, too caught up in the doingness. A lot of therapists are in this camp too. You know, that wing of practice, for me, it's been very beneficial to learn about receptive, choiceless awareness. I think both are present. Here, in a little bit of an artificial set- setting, yep, we're going right after those factors. And just like they do it in traditional practice, you're trying to really activate those factors as best you can, you know, while being mindful of what the results are. So, and um, the other thing neurologically to say here too, 
is because neurons that fire together wire together. We're trying to build out slots in the motherboard for some of these states of mind. And honestly, a lot of us have difficulty with the more positive emotional states for whatever reason, a depressive history, perhaps a sense that it's scary or threatening to feel good because that's when you lower your guard and you get nailed. Or maybe it would be disloyal to others or maybe as a woman, when you're not supposed to feel good, you're supposed to make them feel good. Or as a man, perhaps, you're not supposed to feel good, you're supposed to feel stoic and warrior-like or whatever or none of the above. And um, you know, I could look around the room, honestly, and I could see faces where this was hard. This one was hard, and that's okay. But part of what we need to do is with repetition, we want to build out that slot on the motherboard, partly because we want to give that good experience to us, to ourselves in its own right, and because it's skillful means. You know, recommended by someone who is perfectly prepared to starve himself nearly to the point of death, the Buddha himself. And with practice, you really will get there. To be, again, honest, with practice myself, I mean, I can activate pretty intense happiness just at will. And, um, you know, and, and I think people can get to that point where they're able to go in there. I can't, I can't do rapture at well, you know, but happiness, pretty, pretty easy. Okay. Okay, so far? And the trick, again, is not to get attached to these states, but to use them as fuel, as nourishment for our journey. 